Good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here this morning. This is um, uh, one week after Easter, and this is a little bit of a weird um, day on the calendar for me. Um, we're coming off of Easter, right? So um, four services last weekend had over a thousand kids and adults and teenagers show up. Um, over those four services, got to celebrate eight baptisms. Some of you heard those stories. Maybe some of you um, saw those stories um, on our Facebook page. There were live baby chickens downstairs in the fort. So all of this energy and all of this prayer and all this work went in to last week. And for good cause, I'm still hearing stories from people who joined us uh, for the first time last week and um, here in person, or, or those of you who joined us online last week for the first time as well. Um, but all this stuff that goes into Easter weekend and then you come to this week, right? It's like there's, there's, it's, it's a little bit less energy. All those people who showed up last week aren't going to show up um, this week. Make no mistake, Jesus is still alive. Like, let's get that straight, right? Like, he's still worthy of our worship, and we're, like, we're here every single week, every seven days. We join together uh, to, to, to declare that and to worship him, um, but it just feels a little bit different. It's just a little bit different, and I thought it would be a great week just to, just to kind of throw this out here and, and talk about it for a few weeks after Easter, okay? I have no pithy introduction for this. Jesus had no pithy introduction for this, but this is what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever will lose their life for me and for the gospel We'll save it. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Right? I should have stayed home and watched this online so I could mute it, right? The temptation, <laughs> the temptation is to, to skim over this. Whenever we get to sections like this, we get to passages like this where Jesus is like really clear on things. We want to skim over it. We want to skip it. We want to ignore it. We want to explain it away. Tim, can we talk about something practical? Like talk about Moses or the Ten Commandments, talk, right? Let's, what, what are we dealing with this before? This is what I want to go after for the next three weeks. And, and if you're like me, um, if, you're, if you're competitive and you like winning, you hate the idea of losing. Like, you cannot think of a good reason to lose at anything ever. It's honestly a huge growth area for me, so it's probably why I'm going to talk about it for three weeks. I just hate losing. If you, can, if you can identify with the idea of hating to lose and you like to win, you don't believe in sayings like this, winning isn't everything. Who came up with that? <laughs> right? Like, where did that come from? Or how about this one? You've heard this one before, too. Losing isn't the end of the world, Tim. I agree with the premise. Just because you lose doesn't mean the world is going to end. But I am not going to use that as an excuse to lose. Right? Like, who came up with this? I'll tell you who came up with this. These two sayings were created by and for losers. <laughs> they were. Somebody lost at something, and they wanted to feel better about themselves, so they came up with a cool saying. Well, money is not everything. Okay, I agree with you. Now, listen, I know, I know some people are more competitive than others. Some of us hate losing more than we like winning. That's me. I hate to lose more than I like to win. And this started really, really early in my life. Um, I remember being on the playground 
and playing basketball or soccer or kickball. And I got aggravated with my teammates in first grade because they weren't putting it all on the line. Like I remember feeling aggravated with first graders. I was a fellow first grader, but I was aggravated by that. I was, uh, I was the first chair trumpet player in seventh grade and eighth grade, and then the two junior highs combined in our town to create uh, you know, the high school ninth grade band, and I was no longer first chair. So I quit the next year. <laughs> It just aggravated me so much. I hated losing. Baseball was my preferred sport growing up. And I had some success early on. So like in eighth grade, I made my city's, you know, all-star team, which means you go to tournament, right? And so we go to the regional tournament. We wiped the floor with everybody at that tournament. Then we went to the state tournament. We won that tournament, which means you go to the super regional tournament in Dallas, Texas, And we were within just a couple games of being able to qualify for the Little League World Series. And we lost. And I hated my life. (laughs) I absolutely hated it. I remember going home in my parents' Toyota minivan, looking out the window and just playing through the game again in my mind. What could I have done better? What could my teammates have done better? And it just... I hated it. I hate the feeling of losing. And I I wanted to go back and redo it. I wanted to go back and and have another shot at that game, but I knew that was impossible. And and some of you don't believe me, but I've actually mellowed out as the older I've gotten. Like I, I I don't get nearly as upset when my teams win or when I lose. Some of you can identify with that and you're not as psychologically messed up as I am. But you may not be as bothered by losing as some of us are, but you still like winning. Like America loves a winner. We want our kids to win. We want to win in business. We want to win in finances. We want to win in our relationships. Not only do we like to win personally, we like identifying with a winner, right? Like I think if Patrick Mahomes would have played for the Chiefs in the 90s, I would have grown up a Chiefs fan rather than a Cowboys fan. (laughs) But the Cowboys were really good in the 90s, and I was in Oklahoma, and I was caught in between the Chiefs and the Cowboys. The Cowboys were good. The the, the, The Chiefs, not so much. So we like to identify with winners. I read something. This is actually disturbing. I read something just a couple years ago by a sociologist who did a long-term study over national presidential elections. And one of the things that he found was that there's a broad scope of American voters who don't vote for the person they believe is the best leader or the best diplomat. They will vote for the person they think is going to win. Because they want to be able to say, I pick the winner. I'm on the winning side. We, we like winning so much in our culture, we've gotten rid of losing. There are some kids' sports you don't keep score anymore. Some of you, like me, you kept score, but there was no scoreboard. (laughs) You know who you are. You were keeping score. You went home, you're like, good game, you know? You're like, my kid won. Nobody else knew, but you knew, right? And and participation trophies, ugh. We've gotten rid of losing. We don't want kids. You know, I know why we do that, so save your email. I know why we do it, okay? But we want our kids to grow up thinking of themselves as winners. Don't want them to lose. And when we 
bump into this idea of losing on purpose. We choose to lose. It just feels wrong. It feels like, what? Why in the world would I do that? We don't, we don't really want to consider this idea of choosing to lose. But even if you ignore it, even if you don't like it, even if you skip it, the reality is sometimes following Jesus feels like you're choosing to lose. Sometimes it just feels like that. You, you bump into decisions. You bump into to environments. You bump into situations where it feels like you have to lose in order to follow Jesus. And isn't this also true? You, you're around people who aren't following Jesus, and sometimes it feels like they're getting ahead of you. They're getting ahead of your kids. Their kids are getting ahead of your kids because they don't play by the same rules. And, and they don't have the same values and ethics as you do. And it just feels like they're, they have a competitive advantage. Sometimes it feels like choosing to follow Jesus is choosing to lose. And the other side of that is, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're like, you're holding him at arm's length, or you're not sure, or you're investigating it, and you know what Jesus said about this, this is one of the reasons you don't want to follow Jesus. Because you know he said this. You know this was a big part of what he taught. But here's the interesting thing. From the very beginning, Jesus was completely upfront about this. He never hit it. He never downplayed it. He, like, he didn't sneak it into the fine print. Like the verse we just read, Jesus said to a crowd. He didn't say it behind closed doors. He said it for anybody and everybody to hear it. And before he said this, before he said what we just looked at, he had this conversation with his closest followers where he posed a question. And the question was, who do you think I am? Who do you guys say that I am? And Peter, Peter always spoke first, right? He was just that guy. Peter said, you're the Messiah. I think you're the Messiah. In other words, I think you're the promised one. You're the one sent to rescue us. You're the one that has, has been prophesied for thousands of years that will reign as, as the king of the Jews forever. That's who I think you are. And, and, and I think all of the disciples is kind of like a tennis match, like they're looking at Peter say this, and then they went right back to Jesus. Okay, what is Jesus going to respond to? How will he respond to what Peter just said? And when Jesus confirmed what Peter said was true, changed everything. Changed everything for the disciples. They couldn't believe they knew the Messiah. They couldn't believe they were alive at the time of the Messiah and they knew him personally. It changed everything. But at the same time, it's almost, I don't know this for sure, but I almost imagine Jesus looking at them after he confirmed he was the Messiah and he started to see the wheels turn. And so Jesus prepares them for what's ahead of them. He gives them a little bit of a heads up. Here's what Jesus said immediately after that exchange about Jesus being the Messiah with Peter. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, like it was normal. He wasn't hiding anything. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, I think Peter thought he was doing the right thing. 
I think Peter was doing the courageous thing. I think Peter thought, no, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to fight for you. You're going to suffer? What? You're going to die? Not on my watch. There's no way I'm going to let that. You're the Messiah. You don't lose. You win. And by extension, I win. We win. This can't be true. See, Peter, like, like you and me, Peter had a plan. He, he saw life moving forward, and in no scenario did he ever consider losing as a possibility. This is not the way that he envisioned things, because what Jesus just said to them in verses 31 and 32 had implications for them. If their leader suffers and dies, what does that do to the followers? Like, what happens to us? This is, this is not what Peter thought he was signing up for. This felt like the beginning of a loss. And when Peter pulled Jesus aside, he started telling him how he thought things should go. Here's how Jesus responds. But when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, remember, he and Peter are having this side conversation, so it's almost like he knew they were thinking the same way Peter did. He looked at them, and he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, Peter gets a bad rap because he's the one who said it, and he's the one who Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. But Jesus, you see what it said? Jesus looked at all the disciples. They were all thinking the same thing. They were all wondering the same thing. This feels like a loss, Jesus. Really? Really? This is, this is where we're going. And get behind me, Satan. That feels a little harsh. But, but Peter was human, which meant he had human concerns. If Jesus is captured, if Jesus is tortured, if Jesus suffered, if Jesus died, Peter has concerns about that. What did that mean for him? The stakes just got a lot higher in terms of following Jesus. So yeah, Peter had some concerns. And isn't it true? That's how you feel sometimes? Like, isn't that true how we feel sometimes? Don't we bump into, again, decisions, choices, places, situations where this comes into play? We envision a future. We, we, we think about our choices. We, we look at what's before us. And in order for us to follow the teachings and the direction and the movement of Jesus, it raises some concerns for us. We're concerned about our reputation Concerned about what other people think about us. We're concerned about making ends meet. We're concerned about a certain standard of living. We're concerned about what our kids will think. Our grandkids. We're, we're concerned about what our decisions and choices in following Jesus will mean for our kids. We're concerned. But, but notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say Peter's concerns weren't legitimate. They simply weren't the concerns of God. I don't think Jesus was saying he didn't care about Peter's concerns. I think he was saying God isn't concerned about the things that were concerning Peter. And by extension, the things that concern us sometimes. Jesus knew. Jesus and the Father were one. Jesus knew the concerns of God. And what the disciples would eventually realize was in order for them to win... Jesus had to lose. In order for them to win, ultimately, 
Jesus had to lose. And in that moment, what Jesus was describing felt like a total loss. But here we are, 2,000 years later, looking back on that decision, and that is a win. That claimed victory for you and for me and for Peter and for the disciples, but it came through losing. And as he often did, he saw an opportunity to teach them about this, you know, losing to gain idea. Jesus saw it as a teachable moment. So watch this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So his audience just got bigger, right? Easter Sunday, the audience was big. And Jesus calls the crowd to him. He calls his 12 disciples who were already bought in and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Not very seeker sensitive, is it? That's not how you build a crowd, right? This was Jesus' message to the masses. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. In other words, If you want to follow me, it's going to cost you something. Salvation's free. Like what I'm getting ready to do is a free gift to you. But if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you. And and Jesus, he hadn't picked up the cross yet. And I don't know exactly what the disciples were thinking when Jesus said this. But I do know they knew what a cross was. They had seen. They had heard. They had smelled what the cross was, because Rome was really good at crushing their enemies, and that's one of the ways they did it, by crucifying people on the cross. This was not jewelry to them. They were crystal clear on what Jesus was saying here, and this is why when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew and Luke record this twice. It's in there twice. It's, it's, it's not the most popular of Jesus's sayings today, but I'm telling you, it was the most emphasized among his original followers. Jesus was being upfront. He was as clear as he could with that crowd. And then on top of that, cherry on the top, the verse we started with, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And just think about who was listening to this. Like there was a crowd, but the 12 were there too. And if you know the history of what happened to the 12, for them, this wasn't hyperbole. Jesus knew this wasn't metaphor. Jesus knew some of them, the majority of them, would actually have to lose their life because they followed Jesus. It's a big deal. This was a line in the sand. He knew his followers would feel like following him, would feel like losing so in his goodness and in his grace, he just, he just lays it out. He calls it out. He says it plainly. Guys, if you're about saving your life, I'm sorry, you're going to lose it eventually. Everybody eventually loses their life. But, but if you choose to lose your life for me and for the gospel, you'll actually end up saving it. Crystal clear. Crystal clear. And Think about this. If, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know this is true. What Jesus taught that day is just true. Winning anything significant involves choosing to lose something. Okay? 
Olympic athletes, gold medal winners, biggest losers on the face of the earth. They have to choose to lose. They lose sleep. They lose lazy Saturday mornings. They lose the ability to eat chips and queso from Elmez Cal. They lose the family time. They lose the ability to have a family. They lose in order to win. I'd make the case that gold medal winners are some of the biggest losers in history before they win. I read something, read something from Usain Bolt this week, the, the Olympic sprinter. He said, I trained for four years to win nine seconds. He trained for four years to win a nine second race. Do you think there was some losing in those four years? <laughs> you better believe there was losing. But that's, that's, that's the principle. Your parents, your teachers, your coaches, they tried to teach you this when you were growing up. Remember when your parents used to say something like, the more you work, the more you study now, the more opportunity you'll have later? And some of you, you took that and you said, okay, I'll do that. But in the moment, when you were studying, when you were working, when you were you know, honing your craft, whatever it was, when you were doing that, it felt like losing. But then you got the scholarship that you got to go to the school of your choice that opened up other opportunities. And, and, and you realized It's pay now, play later, or play now and pay later, right? Like we we, we know this. Follower of Jesus or not, you know this is true. We have to lose in order to gain something more significant, but in the moment, it's hard to lose on purpose. It It feels like a loss to order your finances, give first, save second, live on the rest, Feels like a loss. Feels like a loss to order your sexuality the way that the New Testament teaches that followers of Jesus should. Feels like a loss, especially that 14 to 25 range. Feels like a loss when you submit to your boss. Feels like a loss when you submit to authority, even though that the scripture very clearly teaches that God works through authority. Good authority, bad authority. God works through authority. It feels like a loss when, when, when you forgive someone who's wronged you. It feels like a loss when making certain decisions in order to follow Jesus. Some of you moms, some of you dads, you decided to give up a career or the pursuit of a career in order to stay home with your kids. And I am not making a, a judgment call on what that is right or wrong in, in that situation. I'm just pointing out For some of you, that felt like a loss. It felt like a loss. Some of you, you you said no to a promotion at work because it required more travel. You said no to another job opportunity because it meant that you were going to be gone during the, the formative years of your kids and you decided to stay home. You decided to stay in that job. That felt like a loss. Some of you, you decide to live on 90 or 80 or 60% of your income and give away the rest. And then you look at friends, you look at family members, you look at neighbors, you look at people you know that are taking these vacations and they're upgrading their cars and their phones and they get the newer, nicer, better golf equipment. (laughs) And it feels like a loss. Some of you, we're going to talk about this in just a couple weeks. Some of you decide to take some of your time and every week 
or every other week or once a month, you invest it in serving other people here at Grace Point or in other places. And it feels like a loss sometimes. You're losing the ability to sleep in on Sunday. You're losing the ability to go away on the weekend when you get invited somewhere last second. You lose, the, you lose the opportunity to get up and work on the yard and get all that done before you go back to work on Monday. I know. It feels like a loss sometimes. And this is why I think Jesus was so upfront. He was so clear. He knew. If we allowed the feeling of losing to keep us from doing the hard thing now, we end up losing something far more significant later. If we allow ourselves to be swayed by the feeling of loss today, we'll never experience the significant gain tomorrow. And if you struggle with that like I struggle with that, I just want to remind you, everybody loses. Everybody loses. It's it's impossible to eliminate losing from your life. As much as I hate it, we're going to lose. We're going to lose games. We're going to lose money. We're going to lose sleep. We're going to lose business opportunities. Parents, we're eventually going to lose our control. We're going to lose loved ones. Every single one of us will eventually lose the battle to time. Everybody loses. The question The question is not, will you win or lose? Wrong question. Everybody loses. The better question is, what will you choose to lose? Like you have a choice. You get to choose what you lose. And at the moment when you're faced with that, what are you going to choose? Finances, relationship, business, integrity, ethics. What will you choose to lose? And if you decide that the way of following Jesus isn't worth it because of what you'll lose, here's what you owe it to yourself to discover. What do you give up later if you refuse to lose that? What are you losing in the future in order to do that? Again, you don't need the Bible to know this, but if you choose to do your own thing, and ignore what Jesus says, ignore what, 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 what Scripture very clearly points out, what future gain are you giving up? I think you owe it to yourself to answer that question. And, and, and some of you, like you don't need to get to the future to know that. Some of you are sitting here today thinking about a loss that you're dealing with right now. You decided somewhere in the past, you decided to play instead of pay. And today, you're paying instead of playing. And isn't it true? Like that baseball game for me, you want to go back and redo it? You want to go back a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years ago and redo it? You want to choose differently, but that's impossible. You can't do that. You wish you could go back and choose something so you wouldn't be losing right now. See, that's the principle played out in your life. It's true. Some of you, you're on the fence. Maybe when it comes to to following Jesus or making a decision in order to follow Jesus, you're deciding whether, which way to go. Some of you are brand new to following him and maybe you're beginning to realize (laughs) It's much harder than it sounds. Here's what I would say to you. Actually, I think this is what Jesus says to you through this this passage. 
I think he says, don't let the feeling of losing keep you from following. Because if you do, you will eventually lose something far more significant. If you do, you choose to give in to your feelings of loss now, you lose out on something far more significant later. You owe it to yourself. I think you owe it to yourself to discover what that is you're choosing to lose. The question is not, will you win or lose? Everybody loses. The question is, what will you choose to lose? And even Jesus, at the moment of choice, struggled with this decision. Remember his prayer in the garden the night before he's crucified? He's caught in between willingly suffering and dying and some other option, any other option. What did he pray? Father, is there any other way? Would you, would, can, can this cup pass from me? Is there any other way? There's got to be another way. I feel like I'm heading towards a huge loss. And if you're in that place, if you're faced with a decision like that today, I just want to encourage you, your Savior felt the same way. And I don't know what's going to happen in your finances if you choose to give first, save second, live on the rest. I have no idea. I have no idea what's going to happen in your business if you decide to conduct yourself with integrity, even though it feels like you're falling behind your competition. Have no idea what's going to happen. Have no idea what's going to happen with your kids if you decide to limit their involvement in certain activities to have a healthier pace as a family. I don't know how your boyfriend or your girlfriend will react if you decide to move out. I don't know what's going to happen in your future if you decide to move into that thing that feels like losing in order to follow Jesus. I have no idea. But here's what I do know. Your heavenly father isn't concerned about that. He cares, but he's not concerned the same way you're concerned. He has a plan, and it's probably a little bit different than yours. But what would you expect from somebody whose concerns are so much higher than yours? And if you'll choose to follow him, in the midst of what feels like losing, even when you can't see how you'll win later, the promise is you'll gain something far more significant. And that promise was made by someone who lost his life for you and for me. So here's the question over the next three weeks for those of you who will come back. What will you choose to lose? As you follow Jesus, what will you or what are you choosing to lose? Let's pray. And if you want to participate in this, I'm just going to ask you, sometimes it helps for our, our bodies to, to line up with our, our minds. And I, just, just take your hands, put them on your lap, palms up, and ask your Father in heaven what you need to lose.
Father, this lands in so many different places because we're coming into this from so many different places. And God, honestly, there's, there's probably even a little bit of um, echoes from our past, maybe um, religious guilt or the voice of a parent, the voice of a coach, the voice of a teacher, the voice of an authority that kind of gets in the way. And so my prayer, I would just ask you by your spirit that you would clear away that fog, that you would allow us to hear from you what it is that we need to open up our hands and just be willing to lose. For some of us, it's something small. For some of us, it's something big. Regardless, would you give us the courage to walk out of this place and to do what you're asking us to do? Because we know, we know that we know that we know that the ultimate loss, Jesus on the cross, dying for mankind, turned in to the greatest win in history. We know this is true. And we want to follow you wherever you ask us to go. We want to follow you where you lead. So would you show us? Would you direct us? Would you guide us to give us the wisdom to know what to do and then the courage to leave this place and to do it? And it's in the name of Jesus, the one who made all of this possible, the one who died on our behalf, who lost so that we could win. We prayed in his name. Amen. Have a great week. You're dismissed.